from APM. This is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. There was a time when college was mostly for men, but today women are more likely to go to college, and they perform better than men academically once they get there. Andrew Reiner wrote about this in a recent New York Times op-ed. In the essay, he says that even as early as elementary school, girls demonstrate better social skills and behavioral skills, which translates into higher academic achievement. Reiner argues that the underperformance of male students in college is due to societal norms about masculinity. He says it's the role of colleges to teach male students how to be men. Reiner is a professor at Towson University. There he teaches a class called Real Men Smile, the Changing Face of Masculinity. And he joins me from Baltimore. Welcome. Uh, thank you for having me, Stephen. First off, tell me the story about the class you teach. The, the masculinity class I teach, um, a lot of the topics that we cover are, are really kind of through the lens of American masculinity. It also, of course, gets into the, the sociology and the psychology. A lot of what I do once we start to cover the, the history of American masculinity from about the 18th century onwards, a lot of it really be really becomes driven by the class itself and the kinds of aspects that they want to explore. What's the gender ratio in the class? The gender ratio in the seminar, historically, has been about 75% women and 25% men. So men are uh, statistically underrepresented. They are. That's true, you know, as it is on a lot of American college campuses, and it's also true in the Honors College where I teach. But that said, I have found, Stephen, that it still is a smaller proportion than when I teach other seminars. Huh, interesting. So how do stereotypes affect the academic performance of male students in college and I suppose in your class? One of the things that I've noticed semester in and semester out that I have to do is I have to draw out the male students a little bit more. I typically find that almost two or one semester in, semester out, whenever anybody needs some extra help with, with writing, it's always the female students. What that tells me is that they're really, they're putting in the effort. I do find that once the male students really start opening up and really being a part of the discussions, usually it just takes one. It's that whole domino effect. And usually when that happens and others start to fall in, I actually do see a difference in the quality of their written assignments. I believe you've cited research that says that boys' underperformance in school has more to do with society's norms than with anatomy or hormones or brain structure or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, boys involved in extracurricular activities like music, art, drama, those kinds of things have higher levels of school engagement and, and get better grades than other boys. But couldn't they just be more engaged people? I mean, I can tell you from my own experiences from teaching middle school, from teaching at the university level, from, from working with high school students as, as well in a tutoring capacity. And, and one of my students summed it up really well last semester. We were talking about why this seems to be the case. You know, in classrooms across the country at all levels, even all, all the way up through college, and why even in the Honors College, you know, it, it seems to be the case. And, and one of the students, I really appreciated him, him saying, he said, you know, because we don't want to come off like we're being a try-hard. A try-hard, you meaning they don't want to look like they're trying? Yes. I said, you know, raise your hand if flat-out grades are unequivocally important to you. And I asked this just at the males, and they all raised their hands. And I said, so why is it that you don't want to look like a try-hard? And they said, because, you know, it just doesn't look cool. It, looks like you're, it, just, it just looks like you're putting out too much effort. That's very much about hypermasculine posturing. And there are lots of studies which show 
that the degree to which students typically allow themselves to really kind of get involved in discussions and, and, and things like that during classrooms, that they typically do better academically. So tell me about the real man experiment that you assign in your class and the, and the results that it's had. What I'm asking students to do typically um, is to look at one aspect that we've been exploring in the, in the course that kind of focuses on one, this one aspect of hypermasculine behavior to come up with an experiment idea where they can mimic that and engage the response of people who are willing to be interviewed afterwards or, and, or sometimes also to follow up with a survey. Probably the most kind of riveting one is a student uh, had positioned himself and, and, a, and a female friend in the foyer of the school library, the university library, during a really busy time of day. Lots of people were coming in and out, and they took turns pretending that they were crying. And, and I do have to say they, they really did a stellar job, very convincing. And so what happened was that when the male was crying, there were a lot of people looking and, and no one stopped. When the female cried, um, there wasn't a, a rush of people to come over to help her, but there were people looking, but there were, there were like a, a small number of young women who came over to ask her if she was okay. Now, you argue that emotional vulnerability uh, in men makes them better students. Uh, how? Why? I remember that when I taught middle school, and, and I know developmentally we're talking about two different age groups, but I know that when I taught middle school that when there were some, some boys that allowed themselves to get excited about something that we were discussing and learning, they were hooked. You had them. I think that if we could help young boys and young men kind of reconsider this idea of posturing in the classroom, of feeling like they've got to look calm, cool, collected, always in control, which is which that, that kind of stoicism. If we could get a lot of boys and young men who really don't benefit from that, if it's really not you know part of who they normally really are, that would be a really strong start to getting them to get a little bit more engaged in the classroom. There's different challenges for students, as we know, you know, at different socioeconomic levels. So across the board, you can't just say that, oh, well, you know, you know, this might work. But I really do think that it would only be a positive start for students of all races, of all socioeconomic backgrounds, because in America, looking like you're trying too hard at something like learning is considered a very feminine trait. Some researchers say that men's relative lack of success in college may not be due to stereotypes about masculinity, but rather due to low expectations in school from teachers uh, in middle school and high school. Is that the same thing? I think there's some truth to that, but I also think it all basically falls back on a lot of the same storyline, which is about the expectations for boys and young men and a storyline that really becomes self-prophesizing. Because I think the expectation is this is the way that boys are. This is the way that they're going to be. If we reoriented the mindset of a lot of teachers at different levels and said, this isn't about being masculine or feminine. This is about saying that we're really limiting them when we feed into that boys will be boys mentality. Because I, I, I think we operate from that place a lot of times unwittingly by the way that we're socialized. In your piece in the New York Times, you call for more resources on college campuses for men, like men's studies programs or men's centers. What would those do? You know, there, there really aren't a lot of them right now in this country. There's, there's been more push for those in, at universities in Canada. I think they're ahead of the curve 
when it co- compared to us when it comes to that. This would be a place, and it would and it would require a lot of work up front, a lot of front loading in terms of you know uh, getting young men to come in there and to and to want to have a space. I think what it would do is create a space for men where if you can get them through the door and get them in small groups willing to kind of just really kind of start opening up a little bit about the things that are frustrating for them, about the things that worry them, I think that that would be a start in terms of getting young men to not buy the script that they're given at a very young age. I really do think that would start to change things. I think it would start to get them to question the sexual hypermasculine ethos that is prevailing on a lot of American campuses. I think it would get them to kind of question that. And I think it would give them a chance to say, you know what, I don't want to feel like amongst my friends that if I'm conquering, you know, I'm hooking up all the time and and I've got another notch on my bedpost, that validates my masculinity for another night. But is college, I mean, isn't it too late by the time these guys get to college? It it seems to me that that behavior is pretty well ingrained. It is. It is. But, But I would say to that, one of the things I've noticed, a lot of young men would like to make changes, and they're capable of making these changes. I notice this from the discussions we have and from the, from the feedback I get from them at the end of the course, the, the Real, Men, Real Men Smile course. They are capable. It's what, what, what doesn't happen in our culture is we don't make space for them. We don't consider a, a place worthwhile where they can really kind of talk about these kinds of things and process these kinds of things because they have a lot of questions and, and they're not really told it's okay to, to have these thoughts or feelings, you know, it's all about cramming them back down and suppressing them from hearing the kinds of conversations, and, you know, we have in, in, the, in the seminar I teach and hearing from these young men, I am convinced that it's not too late for this. That said, I do think we should be starting to look at this script and getting boys more conscious of it at younger ages. Absolutely. But even if we didn't go there, I firmly believe that with the right kind of facilitating that these kinds of discussions could do a world of good. Andrew Reiner is a professor of English at Towson University. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Stephen. You can find a link to Reiner's essay at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. We'd like to hear what you think about American Radio Works. You can leave us a review on iTunes, or you can let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org. You can click on the About page and scroll down to Share Your Impact Story. We're also working on two projects that come out in May and will be on the podcast, including one about new efforts to combat sex trafficking in the United States. We cannot arrest our way out. The volume exceeds the criminal justice system's capacity by such a dramatic uh, measure that there has to be a broader community-based response or you're not going to move the needle. You will be able to hear that program at AmericanRadioWorks.org on May 12th. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and you can tweet us at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from Lumina Foundation, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>